Seattle Sports Snapshot. Snapshot. The Mariners jumped out to an early 5-0 lead, but still lose to the Royals. Here's the good news. Kyle Rowley hits his first home run of the spring, and Logan Gilbert strikes out three in two innings. The Kraken take on the Penguins tonight. Puck drop is at 7 p.m. And the big boys on defense get things going. The NFL Combine is today. Linebackers and defensive linemen get things going. Events start at noon. Snapshot brought to you by Miller Lite. When it's game time, it's Miller time. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Happy Thursday to everybody listening today. I'm Michael Bumpus. Once again, you got the dad podcast. Curtis Rogers is filling in for Stacy. She made it across the pass safely. She's um, speaking to the young minds of the future. The children there. are our future. Children are our future, man. That's what they say. I don't know about these Stacey children sometimes. I don't know about these children sometimes, man. They over there <laughs> talking crap to Cam Newton, not realizing he's a league MVP. I think this is a different group, Bumpus. <laughs> this, is, this is kids who are like communication majors. Okay, that, okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if they're uh, you know throwing hands with with great NFL players. No, nah, not at all. Different. Okay. Well, Stacy, I'm glad you made it safely. But much I'll, nerdier crowd. Much nerdier crowd. <laughs> Glasses on and stuff. All right. But we got things to do over here, and we we got a great show, man. We got uh, Randy Mueller of the Athletic today at eleven. We got BG Brandon Gustafson is going to join us at twelve. Talk some baseball, and then the legend himself, Alofa Tatupu, will join us at one o'clock. Man, lots of stuff to do today, and we are going to start with. The Seattle Seahawks, the combine gets started today. The big boys take the field, linebackers, defensive linemen. They're going to do their drills, have their interviews, but we're going somewhere else. We're going to start with the quarterbacks and how it relates to the Seahawks. Now, word on the street is the Seahawks met with Drake May and Jaden Daniels. They got the number 16 pick. They have a quarterback. You might have a backup quarterback, but we know John Schneider yesterday has some interesting things to say about the quarterback position and how they've handled it over the last 14 years. Play that for me, Cup One, Curtis. Thank you. All right, we'll get back to we'll it. Anyway, it yeah. He goes, look, man. He goes, look, over the past 14 years, they've only drafted two quarterbacks, and they're not proud of that. But uh, it's a new day. You got a new head coach. John Schneider has always had power, but I feel like um, his voice is a bit louder. And uh, they met with Drake May and Jaden Daniels. What does that tell you about the Seahawks, Schneider, and the quarterback position? It tells me right now that as much as, you know, we think things are settled with Geno, they're always looking. They're always looking for something else. Uh, That's just kind of how it is at the quarterback spot when you've got a quarterback already in the fold that's, you know, 33 years old, that's looking to, uh, you know, you're looking to potentially figure out that spot for the long haul. And Drake May and Jaden Daniels are two of the top three quarterback prospects in this year's draft. Uh, I look at, uh, you know, J.J. McCarthy's name has been linked to the Seahawks, too, especially because Mike McDonald coached him in a roundabout way. He was on the defensive side of the ball. McCarthy was on the offensive side of the ball for the Wolverines a couple of years ago. Um, so there's history there with McDonald, but also there's history bump with another assistant on the Seahawks coaching staff 
with LSU's Jaden Daniels, and that is offensive assistant Zach Hill uh, for the Seahawks quality control coach, too, who was recently hired. He was Jaden Daniels' offensive coordinator at Arizona State in 2020 and 2021. So there's familiarity there with Jaden Daniels. Now, as we know, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, the coaching staff is not in town in Indianapolis. They're here in Renton, uh, you know, working on installs, getting familiar with each other, whereas the front office and the scouting staff and John Schneider, they're all in Indianapolis uh, with boots on the ground. So, um, you know, the familiarity with some of the coaching staff and these quarterback prospects, uh, you know, it's not going to play out in person. But when I saw yesterday from Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network say that the Seahawks had met with Jaden Daniels, that got me to raise one eyebrow. When I saw later on in the day, when I saw later on in the day that they met with Drake May, that got me to raise my other eyebrow. Kind of like, oh, these are not, you know, the quarterbacks that are going to be available in rounds two, three, and four. Bo Nix, Michael Penix, uh, you know, Joe Milton, guys like that. No, these are guys that are going to go probably top five. Uh, and I don't know about you, Bump, but that to me was uh, a bit of an eyebrow raiser yesterday. Yeah, I agree. It um it leaves all the possibilities open, right? We know that they have the 16 pick. We know that Geno's not going to be here for five to ten years just off of his age alone, and we know that John Schneider is great at evaluating the quarterback, so why wouldn't they bring these guys in? The question is, and you posted this question, Curtis, how do they – get a guy like uh, Jaden Daniels or Drake May. So you threw out some situations um, how Bryce Young um, got to be a a Panther out there, right? So I'll break the whole scenarios down and how do you think the Hawks would acquire such talents as Drake May and Jaden Daniels? Well, I don't think they're going to go number one overall. Um, Now, there is a a ESPN football analyst that does think Jaden Daniels is worthy of the number one overall pick. We might get to it here in this segment, but Uh, Bryce Young last year went number one overall. The Panthers traded up. Their package included the number nine overall pick, a second-round pick in 2023, which is something the Seahawks don't have in in the 2024 draft, and then the following year's first and second-round picks, um, and then also DJ Moore, an established wide receiver. So that's what landed Carolina, the number one overall pick uh, from Chicago, in exchange for DJ Moore, two first-round picks, a 2023 second and a 2025 second round pick. So that is a a substantial haul that the bears got for Bryce young. I don't think the Seahawks uh, could match that because they don't have a second round pick this year. You're probably going to have to trade, obviously pick 16. You're probably going to have to trade your 2025 first. And who knows what that 2026 first could end up being, or maybe you you throw in a 2025 second. Like you're going to have to pay uh, a pretty penny if you want to move up to where these guys are going to be drafted. San Francisco, you look at their trade up for Trey Lance. They sent a the number 12 pick in 2021, the number 29 pick in 2022, and the number 30 pick in 2023 plus an additional third-round pick in 2022. So three firsts and a third to move up to number three for Trey Lance. That potentially could be a a package that the Seahawks do because it didn't involve any second-round picks. It just involved a first, uh, three firsts and a third. Um, And then 
Justin Fields, the Bears moved up from pick number 20 to pick number 11. They sent the number 20 overall pick, number 164 in 2021, and then the pick that became the number 7 overall pick in 2022 and the number 112 pick in 2022. So two firsts, and I believe that's a third and a fourth. So that's another package that potentially the Seahawks could do. What what I'm getting at here, Bump, is that it's not simply going to be pick 16 and, like, tack on another pick. Right. Whatever it is uh, that this team that the Seahawks potentially could be trading with, you're looking at kind of like Washington, New England. I wouldn't look at Arizona as a potential trade spot because, I mean, it's a division rival. You don't want to give your division rivals too much ammo so Washington, New England kind of look to me like the most likely trade destinations of those two teams bump. I think New England is more in need of a quarterback right now because of the year that Sam Howell had. I mean, yeah, he had a penchant for turnovers, but uh, I think he threw for over 4,000 yards. So I, when I look at the top of the draft bump, are, are you seeing any opportunities for the Seahawks to trade up to take one of these guys that they interviewed yesterday? Here's the thing, man. I look at the position that the Hawks are in the same way I look at the salary cap, right? There's always a way. It's just, what do you want to do with it? If you are in the negative with the salary cap, you talk to your financial guy, he's going to figure some things out, restructure some contracts, and you'll be in the green. I'll look at this situation here and I go, if you really want to move up and grab a guy, I think that you can, even though we think picks one, two, and three are going to go quarterbacks. It's going to be tough, okay? Uh, But there's always a way. I just don't think that is likely. The thing that surprises me the most about this thing is just the ascend of Jaden Daniels, man. I remember when he was over there with uh, Arizona State Forks down. Okay, especially because they just Forks beat down, us the yeah. other day, our Cougs. Oh, and you know, right. you know how you ain't got no love for him. So I ain't got no love for him. Then he goes over to LSU and he just tears it up. Running the football, throwing the football, accounted for over 40 touchdowns last year, 30 on the ground, double digits when it comes to running the rock. He is skyrocketing. He's the most interesting one to me because all this offseason, we've been talking about Caleb Williams. We've been talking about number one pick. Who's going to grab more? The commander's going to make a move. But all of a sudden, guys are talking about Jaden Daniels moving up to number one, especially our guy at ESPN, Dan Orlovsky. I thought that Caleb Williams was a lock at number one because I thought Drake May would be the guy. I was wrong in that. Jaden Daniels should be the guy. If I were the Chicago Bears right now, I would take Jaden Daniels out of LSU. That is not a knock on Caleb Williams. That is a plus in Jaden Daniels. He's saying he would take Jaden at number one. That's very high praise. Orlowski loves to put his neck out there sure on does. takes like this. Um, I mean, Daniels has been the quickest riser of these top quarterbacks of the draft because none of us were talking about him at the top of the draft at the beginning of the college football season. Right. We were talking about Caleb Williams and Drake May, and neither one of those guys did a lot to you know knock off value from from their prospect profile. But Daniels has surged here. He has been a a quick riser, and all of a sudden now, I mean, everybody's kind of fallen in love uh, with with the skill set that he's got and and the production that he had in Brian Kelly's offense at LSU. I look at Jaden Daniels right now, bump, and I mean, he's he's kind of the uh, you know he's got the 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 flashy outfit, or he's one of those guys. It's kind of like uh, you're going steady with somebody and then somebody walks into a room and they just grab the eyes of everybody and, <laughs> and you're like, whoa. But you know what you have in Geno Smith. That's who you're going steady with. right? And then it's like, oh, man, wow. 
Jaden Daniels. <laughs> I wonder what that could do. Uh, but then you're like, wait a minute, I've got a good thing here in, in Geno Smith. I don't want to ruin that. But then you, you kind of are just you're you're just tempted by Jaden Daniels, and you're tempted by Caleb Williams, and you're tempted by Drake May. You are, and it, you're tempted, but it's it's how much are you willing to give up? Now we're we're talking through this because we're looking at um, the 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 actions of the Seahawks and the actions tell us that they are definitely interested in the quarterback position. The words uh, tell us that they are really interested at the quarterback position. John Schneider again talks about what they haven't done and what they have done in the last 14 years at that position. Um, I would assess Syracuse class. It's a good group. You know, Greg, I told you guys in the past, you know, uh, having uh, grown up in the Packer uh, organization, and work for Ron Wolf, uh, not, you know, 14 drafts, only drafting two quarterbacks is not something that we're necessarily uh, proud of. It's just, hap- it just ha- it's happened that way. And uh, every year it's a goal to try to acquire a quarterback and whether that's a draft, free agency, whatever it looks like. But yeah, this, this year's uh, draft class is a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a cool group. A lot of, lot of variances in there. Him saying we're not proud of only drafting two quarterbacks in 14 years makes it sound like he wants to draft a yeah, quarterback right? soon. He's, he's like, I don't know what we're doing, man. <laughs> Honestly, we know what you're doing. You had Russell Wilson and you had other needs, right. but it's it's refreshing to be able to explore all the possibilities now. It, it could be a, a scary place too, right? Because the teams that are the most stable in the NFL have their guys at the quarterback position. And we have a guy here in Geno, but we also know you have to prepare for the future. Uh, so this makes the combine, this makes every press clipping, makes every sound that much more intriguing because you feel like this team is ready to win now, but they're also trying to set themselves up for the future. Yeah, and they're in a, a, a kind of a weird in-between, like you said. Uh, it does remind me a lot of where the Chiefs were with Alex Smith as their quarterback and Andy Reid as their head coach. I'm not saying that Mike McDonald is Andy Reid. I mean, he's three Super Bowls and hundreds of wins short of, of Reid's uh, resume. But, like, you've got an established quarterback right now as your starter. But that's probably not the guy who's going to be quarterbacking your team five, six, seven years down the road. Mm-hmm. If it is, I mean, congrats to Geno Smith for, for you know, having a tremendous finish to his career, but six, seven years from now, Geno Smith's going to be approaching 40 years old. That's not, you know, th- that's not a, a sustainable thing beyond that. Whereas drafting one of these guys who is, you know, 21, 22 years old, like that's the future of, of the quarterback position. And then to top it off, bump, you get one of these guys on the rookie deals. You mm-hmm. are paying well below market value for a quarterback that has the talent of these guys like I can see why it's it's so tantalizing because as we have seen especially in this division with Brock Purdy as the 49ers starting Mm -hmm. quarterback it has now allowed them to spend in other areas bringing guys like Javon Hargraves uh, on the defensive line uh, trading for Chase Young last year like that has allowed the 49ers to keep their window open and also pay guys who are very worthy of extensions. Guys like Nick Bosa, uh, Debo Samuel. I don't know if they're going to keep Brandon. Ayuk. it sounds like Ayuk is kind of frustrated with his, you know, with the amount of plays that come his way, but like they have been able to pay a lot of their guys because Brock Purdy is making what, like $770,000, something tiny like that. Brock Purdy changing the game. He's changing the game right before our very eyes. Let's get to headline rewrites. 
Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. My Cougs look to keep pace in the Pac-12 title chase tonight against USC. Curtis, what's the real headline? Real headline, just so Bronny is aware, Pullman is a long way away from (laughs) Beverly Hills. Hey, it's not Beverly Hills. It's the rolling hills of the Palouse. There you go, the wheat fields. The wheat fields, man. That should be interesting. It should be. I'm excited for this one because not just Bronny James traveling to Pullman to take on a Cougs team that was hot, got knocked off by that ASU team looking to bounce back. USC was projected to be among the conference leaders before this season. They have had maybe the most disappointing season of any team in college basketball. They're currently ranked 11th in the Pac-12. This Cougs team, they're licking their chops. They're hungry. And oh, by the way, this is also the return to the Palouse for one DJ Rodman, who uh, said he was going to come back to Mm. Wazoo at the end of last season, but then got that NIL bag dangled in front of him. And he said, you know what? LA in February. <laughs> it's a little a little different than Pullman in February. Just 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 a little bit. <laughs> USC the wrong team. You gotta go see the women's team play. Juju is over there, the That's freshman right. is balling for USC. Let's go, Coos, get it done. Headline rewrites. Jerry DePolo says there's always a chance Ty friends could see some time at third base this season. What's the real headline? Real headline. If only there were a multi-time gold glove winner available for pickup right now. Is there one out there? I think so. He's pretty good with the glove. One Matt Chapman. Uh, I, I'm not feeling too confident about Ty France potentially being at third base, especially because then it's like who plays first base, Luke Rayleigh, right. potentially uh, you've got, I don't know, maybe Mitch Garver can play some first who knows, but all of a sudden you are in a weird spot. Cause Luis Arias has just not been able to get right. He has not been able to get going at all in camp. You got Josh Rojas, who you brought over in the trade last year at the deadline. Ty France, I think is best served as a first baseman on this team. I don't see the lateral quickness from him. I know he's, he's a little fleeter of foot these days, but uh, I just don't see those quick reflexes needed to to man the hot corner. Remember that group back in our day, LMFAO every day I'm shuffling. I don't want that for the lineup this year. (laughs) I I get you got to move guys around from time to time, but let Ty operate where he operates the best. And that's at first base. I'm with you. I think he's capable of doing it, but every day be that guy at the corner uh, I just don't see it so I'm with you 100% there is a guy out there who has what four time gold glover uh, the batting what it used to be but you never know you can find some some pop on that bat yeah. I'm with you 100% I saw somebody text in yesterday they were like oh you're bringing a Matt Chab and he would only be like the 7th or 8th best bat in your lineup he'd be batting 7, 8, 9 it's like good that's a good yeah because <laughs> if in in past years if you go out and try to get Matt Chapman he'd probably be like your third or fourth best bat now that means he he makes your lineup much more well-rounded and he is also great with the glove like I have no problem with Matt Chapman batting seventh eighth or ninth in your lineup people forget about that seven eight nine uh spots last year now they had some moments right where where they balled out and did their thing you play over 160 games you would hope that eventually uh the seven eight nine spots would uh, will produce a little bit but no nah, why not why not go after it keep friends where uh where he's most comfortable I'm all about it headline rewrites in a stunning development 
Duke star Kyle Filipowski didn't miss any time after he was injured during a court storming last week against Wake Forest. What's the real headline? We can call off the National Guard now. Oh, thank goodness. Jay Billis calling for students to get arrested. Come on, man. Where did Jay Billis go to school? He went to Duke. He went to Duke. I think Jay Williams had a, had a similar <laughs> uh, similar take to that. Where did he go to school? He went to Duke. I feel like if it had happened to any other school besides Duke, it would not have gotten the mm-hmm. coverage that it did. Um, same with like Caitlin Clark, who is the face of women's college basketball mm-hmm. right now. Obviously, you want to protect your stars. You want to protect the teams that are the big ticket teams, the teams that get people to tune in. But it just felt like the conversation around college basketball, like, was completely not basketball. Right. Like, we're we're just a few weeks away from the NCAA tournament. And people are just talking about how court storming is is the thing that needs the most attention in the game right now. Like, nah, I think they need to do a better job of of developing superstars. They need to do a, a better job of of you know making sure that it's appointment television like how it used to be right now i mean it, that's the a, a, a byproduct i think of the nil era is that like so many guys are switching teams anymore you don't have the like tyler Hansbros anymore who you see rise from freshman all the way through senior year and, and like i de- easily identify them mm-hmm. with that their program that they came up with but yeah th- this whole court storming debate it it got very tiresome it did, man. And if you are Duke, if you're Kentucky, if you're North Carolina, you're a top-ranked team and you're a blue butt, prepare for this. Teams are going to rush the court. Now, I understand if they get rid of it, Curtis, I would be disappointed, but I also understand it, right? You want to protect your players. You know what also is going to happen in life sometimes, man? I want to protect my son. He's going to have to throw hands one of these days, maybe. <laughs> I ain't going to be there to protect him. I got to prepare him for that. So, universities, just do a better job of preparing these guys. If you're not going to get rid of it, if you are a Duke and you're at home and you're a top five, top ten, and you're playing an underdog, or excuse me, you're on the road, prepare for this moment. There's no preparation. So I feel like it's an overreaction, but you're not even taking the necessary steps. Um, and it's crazy, right? Old boy's good to go. And and Caitlin was good to go. And I'm not saying that they didn't feel some type of way or didn't suffer some type of pain during that moment. But when it's all said and done, they laced them up the next time you're ready to go. It's up to the universities to get this done. All right, you're listening to the Bump and Stacy show. We got Curtis Rogers filling in for Stacy doing his thing. When we come back, we're going to get inside the mind of a young Julio Rodriguez. That's coming up next. Bump and Stacy. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Julio Rodriguez is the leader of this team, or one of the leaders. I say Cal is in that mix too, man. I like what Cal's been doing as of late. Michael Bump is here with Curtis Rogers. And um, when we spoke to Shannon Dreher a couple of days ago, I asked her, I go, man, what's what's sticking out to you about Julio? And she goes, look, the baby face is gone. I mean, he's still a young man, 22, 23 years old. But she says he's more direct about some things. And uh, he said something about his aspirations for himself in this team that got me kind of excited, Curtis. Let's take a listen. I haven't, I haven't been being able to watch it. Would you would you do that? Like going to a Super Bowl to see it at kind of the biggest spectacle? Would you ever want to do that, or nah, just wait wanna, till you play? I want to play in a War Series. I don't want to like go watch a War Series. You don't want to watch. You want to play. Everybody wants to play, okay. right? And that's yeah. the that's why we play the game to get into the big game. But um, 
as he matures, I think he becomes more confident in the things that he says to the media, right? It's almost mm-hmm. like when you're young, you kind of just say the things you're supposed to say. Oh, I'm just here to get better every day. I'm going to take it day by day, one swing at a time. And then at some point, you reach a point where you're like, nah, let, let's go get this. Yeah. I want to be a World Series champion. I love that the very best player on this team is thinking World Series and is is dreaming of a World Series and is working towards that because – I think in years past here in this town, the World Series just kind of felt like a pipe dream, and it still kind of does because they've never been to one. Um, but it felt like the World Series was something for other teams. And now that you have a player like Julio that is the very best player on your team that you could easily make an MVP case for this season, like that is a, a very great thing. Uh, that they've got going for themselves. Um, And I don't think he's the only one that has those kinds of aspirations. Now, obviously dealing with all the, you know, mess that was this off season with, (laughs) you know, the front office and, and how much money do the Mariners have to spend? That's working against the uh, ease in which it is to get to the world series. But I do like that Julio is, is focused on that because I think we've had this pointed out to us by, you know, people in the Mariners organization um, where like coming up through the minor leagues, you're always thinking about yourself ahead of the team because you want to get to the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't matter if, if the guy playing next to you gets there or not, because uh, you know, your goal is to get to the major leagues. You're playing for yourself really up until you get to major league baseball. And then once you get to the big league level, you can't play for yourself anymore. You have to play for the team. And thinking World Series, that is that is a great team-first mentality. Yeah. Um, when guys like Julio put it out there, I'm all about manifesting stuff, right? That's big yes. on social media these days, especially uh, in these podcasts. Manifest it, girl. Manifest it, right? <laughs> Manifest it. So put it out there, and uh, and it becomes attainable, I think. I'm a firm believer in that. So I love that Julio's putting it, putting it out there. Also, I like how he's reflecting on things, right, on on what he learned from last year and how this team could get better. I mean, I just I would say a lot. I wouldn't go, like, a lot into detail. But obviously, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that happened, like, I said the other day, like, a lot of people might not see, but obviously I'm the one, like, kind of, like, experience at all. And I feel like I learned a lot. I feel like I learned a lot, even though, like, I was able to put up a decent season, even though, like, I was going through a lot of things. It just, it was, it was good. It was a good learning experience for me. And like I said, too, it just, it's going to, it's going to serve me well for, for the rest of my career. And, like, just to be able to, like, know how to prepare, know how to do, like, a lot of the things that maybe, like, held me down a little bit last year. I feel like that's that's what's gonna like be able to separate me along the road. What do you hear? Yeah, I I think that's a guy who is not satisfied at, at, at what he did last year, and and we had heard him talk about that in a press conference at the very start of spring training, and he's just kind of echoing that sentiment again, and not being satisfied. That is a, a trait that all great athletes share. Patrick Mahomes has three Super Bowl wins, and I can guarantee you he's thinking about getting number four next year. Like He's not satisfied with all that he's accomplished because he knows he has so much left in his career. Same with Julio Rodriguez, you know, two-time All-Star, uh, silver slugger, uh, you know, just a great, all-around great player, one of the most talented players the Mariners have ever had on their roster. But 
He's not settling on anything that he's done in his first two seasons. Like he's wanting to go out there and, and really assert himself as one of the very best players in the game. And who knows, maybe, you know, his ceiling at some point is the best player in the game. But what do you think um, about pressure? Because his first year he comes in and everyone's excited just to see what he can do. Right. Has one of the best rookie seasons of all time. Um, his second year, there's a different type of pressure, right? You got your money. Um, you've been paid. The all-star game is here in Seattle. So there's that type of pressure. What type of pressure do you think he's feeling this year? I think there is pressure on him to not just kind of keep the same level of play, but to improve upon that. I think we're looking at a guy with, you know, he's got 40 home run power. Could he ever, could he do that? Sure. Uh, we're looking at a guy that probably wants to cut down on the strikeouts, put the ball in play a little bit more. Um, you know, last year, I think he just really had a tough time probably through the all-star break. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't until August that we finally saw the Julio that we know he can be and the Julio that uh, is just one of the most jaw-dropping players in the game. That month of August was something I'll never forget watching. I know you won't ever forget Man, it. It was it was nuts. Yeah, when you see an athlete get in the zone like that, so, so jealous. It is awe inspiring because <laughs> it's like, man, we're just watching one of the greats mm -hmm. work. Yeah, uh, being in the zone, I could not. I, I've never been in the zone in baseball. I can guarantee you that, Curtis. <laughs> but um, in football, at least being in the zone, everything is slow. Everything feels right. You don't feel the football touch your hands when you catch it. I could imagine he's in the sweet spot on the bat. You're not feeling it. Everything just feels right, man. And that was so much fun watching him go through that because outside looking at, we know what we're looking at. Something we don't want to see. We cannot see a slow start. And uh, Julio understands that as well. You got to play well in April. I feel like not just April, every single month. You know, every mm -hmm. single month is going to be important for, for us. And I feel like to focus in that is going to be huge because, I mean, we're outside, like one game, two game out, you know, like it hurts in a way to be able to play for something the whole year and mm -hmm. then just kind of like slip through our hands. So I feel like every single month is going to be important in every single game. When the way that I view it too is something that I was, that I thought about this offseason, like time will pass, you know. doesn't matter if it's going to be – 120 games, 200 games, whatever it is, like the days are just going to pass. So I feel like how you take advantage of those days. And I feel like that's kind of like the whole why I think a lot of us will focus on, you know, like even though if it's a long season, even though if we got time or whatever it is that we might, we might be thinking, it's just like time will pass. How you take advantage of that time? And that's what's going to really separate. When you think about playing well in April, do you just look at – the record or are you breaking down the game into individual pockets and saying, all right, you just need to see some type of success in certain areas. I think April's success, I think wins and losses should, I think matter more than certain individual performances because guys can get hot, can get cold at a time. But if you're able to stack wins in that month, you are making it easier on yourself in August and September when games supposedly matter more but really all wins you know matter the same because one win in in April and one win in September count the exact same in the standings like you need to be able to build yourself up enough of a safety net in the month of April in order to make it easier on yourself in August and September last year the Mariners uh in April slash March they played two games in March they were 12 and 16 
Uh, that's not going to cut it, I, especially in a division with the Rangers and Astros. Like that's not going to help matters if you go 12 and 16 in the first month of the season. Uh, in 2022, they went 11 and 10, but then followed it up in May with a 10 and 18 record. So they were 21 and 28 at the end of May, um, and we know that I think they were 29 and 39 at some point in the 2022 season. Ended up making the playoffs. That was great and all, but uh, it was a, a much harder road for them to get there uh, than it, uh, it needed to be. Uh, so, yeah, you absolutely have to build up wins early on to make it easier on yourself. Goldsmith, Aaron Goldsmith was on with us a couple weeks ago talking about the same thing. Just because you get off to a hot start doesn't mean that's how it's going to finish. We all know how long the season is. But it does seem to me like one of the real keys for this year is can the Mariners come out and have a winning month of April, a winning month of April and the few days before in March because – they all count the same, and the Mariners needed that one extra win at some point in the 162 to get them over the hump, and they couldn't get it. And a lot, and what have we seen from Julio in the last two Aprils? Has Not been, great. Has been great. Not great. Um, a lot of teams can say this, but imagine if you won two to three more games in April. God, you're probably yeah, two to three more games last year gets you in the playoffs. Exactly. So uh, let's get off to a hot start here. Okay, man, lots more to do left on the show, man. At 11, we'll be joined by the Athletics' Randy Mueller to talk about uh, the combine or whatnot. But we're staying in Seattle when we come up or when we come back. Mike McDonald and his staff, they aren't in Indianapolis at the combine. What does that mean? We'll let you know next. Bumpin' Stacy. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Curtis Rogers in for Stacy Rost. It is that time of the year the combine is going down. Now, it's not uncommon for coaching staffs not to go to the combine, right? We see it across the league. Um, I talked to my buddy with the Bills. He said not all their coaches are going. It happens, right? Uh, but we're, there's a new situation here in Seattle. We got a new head coach, new coordinators, new coaches everywhere. And I thought maybe they would go to the combine to kind of get a grasp of this whole thing. But uh, John Schneider told him to stay home. He said, look, I'm, I'm going to handle this one. You guys take care of the house. Here's uh, John Schneider talking about why the coaches aren't at the combine. It's exciting. You know, it's different different ideas and different um, philosophies all mixed together. So everybody's coming together. They're, you know, they're getting to a point where it's going to be all ball now. So, you know, they're just they're just focusing on, focused on implementing their systems. So they're not going to be going down to the um, combine next week. They're all going to be here just, you know, 24-7 installing everything they need to get installed because it's basically a race till April 8th when the players come in. And, you know, Mike had coached in the, in the you know, AFC championship game. So you know, there's a little bit of a feeling that, you know, behind the eight ball a little bit so getting caught up but still staying true to his hiring process and, and the group that's come in so um just mixing all those people together but yeah it's it's exciting but yes we do need name tags schneider said look they got things to do and it, this reminds me curtis um your, your kids once they get into school you'll, you'll probably go through this scenario as well right <laughs> um parent teacher conferences happen every year i got three kids and my wife is all over the parent-teacher conferences, uh, the, the school, the homework, and all that. I just kind of show up and say, where do you need help? Right. So the conferences go down, and she goes, I got this. You stay at home, cook, clean, do all that stuff. All right. I got this. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> That's kind of what I hear here. Uh, Schneider's like, look, I've been here before. I've been through this process. There are so many other things for you guys 
you Mike, Mike McDonald and, and coordinators to worry about. You guys stay at home. I got this. You take care of the house. Yeah, and I'm, it's not like these coaches won't have the opportunity to meet with these prospects because you're allowed, I think, what is it, 30 official visits right. uh, in the lead-up to the draft. A lot of those visits are kind of used as, like, smoke screens uh, for other teams being like, are they actually interested in that guy or are they keeping him – away from you know another team or, or what have you. So it's not like this coaching staff will not be able to get their hands on these guys and, and see them for themselves uh, prior to the NFL draft. Like if they really want to see somebody, they'll request an official visit with somebody. Um, but I do think that this is John Schneider saying like, hey, I've been around this plenty of times. I know what I'm doing. Um my my track record speaks for itself. Like I am going to take care of this. You guys take care of what you need to take care of because the head coach now not in charge of player personnel. Like they are not in charge of building out this roster anymore. Uh, that's going to be a, a weird dynamic to get used to now here in Seattle because it was Pete Carroll that had the final say on every move with the roster. Mike McDonald doesn't have that say anymore. So this is going to be entirely built in John Schneider's vision now. So, yeah, it makes, I guess, more sense that he's there and the coaching staff isn't because, like, McDonald can have his input on things, mm -hmm. but ultimately this is John Schneider's team. Yeah, and this this is uh, this is how relationships work, right? I know some people always think uh, relationships 50-50, and uh, I forgot what podcast or what therapist I was listening to. They go, relationships are never 50-50. It's just somebody strong in this area, the other person strong in that area, and you, and you just try to balance each other out where you need help sometimes and you don't. And in this situation, he goes, look, what you're supposed to do, Mike McDonald, is build the strongest staff possible, is to get the scheduling down for practice, mm -hmm. is to get the install going. You don't worry about that. Just like you said, Curtis, this is what I do. I'm the personnel guy. There's one less thing for you to worry about. And sometimes that's great, man. If I can take something off the wifey's plate or she can take something off of my plate because she's better at that or I'm better yeah. at that, then it just flows a bit better. Exactly. Like if I see the dishes starting to pile up, I'm going to put them in the dishwasher. Like right, that's right. just to take care of that, just to check that box. If I see, you know, the hamper starting to get a little full, I'm starting the laundry. Mm -hmm. Like we're, we're not, we're not letting it get any more full. We're going to take <laughs> care of what we need to take care of. And she's going to take care of what she needs to take care of so that we can have a, a much better flowing operation. Like, yeah, it, it is, I think a new school way of doing it in the NFL. Um, Especially because, you know, anytime you're in a situation like this where you can get eyes on, on draft prospects, conventional wisdom would tell you, oh, yeah, you want everybody that is going to have a say in, in you know, what this guy's future is going to be present and in attendance. And I think it was the Rams who were like the first team with like Sean McVay to be like, you know what? It's not for me. Uh -huh. Like, I don't need uh -huh. to be here for this. And I feel like I'm better served. Uh, back of the facility working on things that I control because uh, I think was it Les Snead is the guy who is in charge of uh, their player personnel. He's their football president of football operations mm -hmm. in L.A., so he's going to be more hands-on than anybody else. And all these interviews with the draft prospects do get recorded, so it's not like McDonald's going to be going in blind and his staff is going to be going in blind with these guys uh, once it gets to the official visit period of the off season. So yeah, I, I think I can totally see why 
the Seahawks have chosen to do this now. Um, and I can totally see why they used to do it the way they did because Pete Carroll was a very old school coach. Yeah, it's whatever works for your situation, yeah. right? And um, with Mike McDonald, the one thing I think I wanted him to have an, have an experience or to experience is going out and publicly in the NFL realm be the guy in Seattle to walk around as the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks and have that bravado and kind of see what that feels like. But obviously you do what, what is most important for your situation and, and your squad. So, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not mad at it at all. Um, they have a process. They have something they believe in. And, uh, and Schneider has been around 14 years. We did the math, What he was 38 when he first got the job yeah. as a GM. Uh-huh. My man is what? 52 years old. Now he's been around the block several times. Um, he is best at what he's doing right now, getting in front of the camera, talking to uh, these these players and, and other GMs and devising a plan for this draft. He's making connections. We talked about to open the show. Hey, how do you move up? How do you move yeah. down? This is how you do it. You get there, you have these conversations, and you start kind of planning your approach in the draft. Well, and as we've seen in years past, the Combine is, is a place where a lot of these conversations are had between these GMs. I think, what was it, the uh, Russell Wilson trade – was brokered in like North Dakota or something mm-hmm. like that, yeah. where uh, Schneider met with George Payton and like they had talked at the combine and stuff. So I'm not saying that a deal like that is going to happen, but yeah, this is where whenever anybody's together, when all these GMs and, and team presidents are together, like they, they talk, they don't just sit on their hands. They, they do a lot of talking. Deals are being done. Yeah. Handshakes. Coffee, cigars, all that good stuff. All right, when we return, we will speak to the Athletics' Randy Mueller. Man, this guy has been an executive. He knows what he's talking about. Lots of great questions for him. That's coming up next.